Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. From a Zen master by the name of Ikkyu, he was asked by a disciple for some wisdom to live by. And he wrote, he took a little piece of paper and he wrote on the paper, attention. And he gave it back to the disciple. And the disciple read the message and then said, well, couldn't you offer a little bit more? (laughs) And you took back the paper and wrote, attention, attention. (laughs) And the disciple looked at the paper and then said, how about a little more? Just a little more. So Ikkyu took back the paper, and this time he wrote, attention, 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 and handed back the paper. And at that point, I guess the disciple gave up that (laughs) and walked away. Um, So a little story just to bring us to um, the topic which is uh, mindfulness, what is it? And resilience, is there a connection between mindfulness and resilience? And if so, how do we cultivate that, right? What, are, what is our capacity? How do we practice this thing called resilience? And um, the meditation teacher in, in um, Northern California by the name of Linda Graham. And she writes, um, as practices of mindfulness, awareness and acceptance have come to the West from ancient Buddhist traditions in Asia. We've secularized them. There's mindfulness integrated into the tools of self-reflection, of therapy and psychotherapy attention training in public schools, stress reduction, pain management in hospitals, businesses are teaching mindfulness, law students are studying mindfulness um, for uh, enhancing concentration. Um, But we should remember that mindfulness is more than just a tool to to train the mind, to change the brain, to change the mind for the better. For the past 2,500 years, mindfulness has been taught as a reliable path uh, to the awakening that leads to the sure release from suffering and teaches us the ultimate resilience, trust in our capacity to wisely and compassionately meet what comes our way. So uh, mindfulness is so effective in just about every phase of life and work, but it's also a deeper path to awakening to the true resilience. Um, With enough mindfulness practice, we arrive to our embodied understanding of the wisdom teachings about conditioning and getting stuck in patterns. We perceive the universality of suffering, the natural arising of compassion in the face of suffering, and the direct experience of the interconnectedness of all beings and the interrelatedness of all events. Um, And to paraphrase my colleague, Andy Dreiter, 
we learn to take it all seriously and hold it all lightly. Because the teachings themselves point to experiences of deep resilience when we can all partake of with enough practice and become focused in our attention. Um, and then this is the cornerstone, she says, of brain change and the cornerstone of any program to rewire our brains again towards this word resilience. Um, it's a very hopeful message here. Right? So what is this deep resilience? And as I say this word, I think some of you may make a connection or find a moment in your life where your practice has led to a deep resilience. And I see a couple of heads nodding. And the way this topic um, came up for me was um, a comment that a friend had made to me this week. Um, she had gotten a phone call from a sibling. And she has a, a number of siblings, a large Irish Catholic family. And this particular sister is one of her favorites. And unfortunately, the sister called and said, um, getting a biopsy and, and I may have cancer. That's a common call that many of us get from loved ones. We've all had those calls. And her first reaction was, oh, this is my favorite sister. This is my favorite one. I don't want this. Right, there's a kind of rejection, um, a natural rejection. And then um, her second thought was, um, oh, but wow, I can be with her. I can really be there for her and walk through this with her. And that's great. I'm in it with her. I'm not going anywhere. Right, great response. And then her third reaction was, oh, wait a minute, her partner is very difficult to be around. <laughs> We've never liked each other, right? Uh-oh. And then her fourth reaction was, oh, and I have this practice that I've been cultivating to carry me through, and I know it will. That's resilience. That's resilience. So let's look a little bit more about this practice, um, which carries us through, but is not always so easy. Right? No one is saying that it's, it's easy. Um, so a lot of us um, have taken to reading Lion's Roar magazine. I know Anne read that. And um, there was um, an article in the last one about mindfulness. What is mindfulness? And Joseph Goldstein wrote something, Sylvia Borstein, and it went on and on. But I wanted to talk about the comments of Andrew Olinsky. Have you heard of him? Yeah, some of you are nodding. So he's the um, former executive director of Insight Meditation Society. He's a psychologist, um, the Barry Center for Buddhist Studies. And he's written quite a few books. They're all good. Um, so I'm going to read a little bit. Not, I don't want to bore you too much, but we'll get to it. So. Um, so he says, perhaps the best way to understand what mindfulness is from a classical Buddhist perspective is to recognize some of the things it is not. Mindfulness does not just mean being aware of our conscious. 
because one is always conscious when not comatose or dead. <laughs> Consciousness is the fundamental quality of mind, understood as an event that occurs rather than a thing that exists. And it goes on a little bit more. Um, so it's not consciousness. Mindfulness does not mean, just mean attention, because we are always paying attention. Attention is the mental factor that gathers all other mental factors together and directs them to a single object, bringing coherence and focus to each mind moment. Our attention may wander from one object to another, and it may not be unable to stay on the same object um, for multiple moments in a row, but it's always directed somewhere. And mindfulness does not mean paying attention in the present moment, because all mind moments occur in the present moment. <laughs> right? How could it be otherwise? Uh, so I'll go on. Nor can mindfulness be adequately identified as paying attention on purpose, or we, as we might put it, being conscious consciously. The difference between conscious awareness and unconscious awareness is the presence of the mental factors applied thought and sustained thought, goes on again. Um, the first allows that the mind be directed to an object that is cho chosen by volition, and the second means we are able to hold our attention on the object of our choosing. So it goes on about all the things it's not, and these are usually the things that I think that mindfulness is, right? Isn't it what you think mindfulness mm -hmm. is? Okay, so it goes on. So, um, so those are the things it's not. Let's look at what mindfulness isn't to what it is. Um, mindfulness is an inherently wholesome or healthy mental factor. So it cannot function at any moment when the mind is under the influence of greed or hatred, even in the mildest versions of favoring and opposing. Any time you want or don't want things a certain way, the mind is not being mindful. Mindfulness requires a thorough, thoroughgoing equanimity. This does not mean you don't care or you're indifferent to what is happening, only that the mind is evenly balanced and fully aware of things exactly as they are. Without the desire to change them by favoring one thing or opposing another. Mindfulness is a mind state that is engaged with the object of attention, but that engagement is disengaged from craving. One breathes mindfully, not wanting the breath to be long or short, but just being aware of it as it is. One walks mindfully back and forth with no desire to get anywhere, simply noticing the nuanced textures of physical sensations arising and passing. So mindfulness, mindfulness is thus. I always love when people use the word thus. <laughs> thus. All of the above. Awareness with attention in the present moment and on purpose with the important addition, and this is what makes it mindful, um, of an attitude or intentional stance of non-attached equanimity. 
right? Non-attached equanimity, that's where that resilience rises, right? Um, so I was really struck by this, you know, so you, you're, generally I want to be mindful, so I'm in the present moment, I'm noticing my sensations, I'm aware, I'm not judging it, and I'm allowing what happens, but we forget that the Buddha also talked about um, the absence or knowing greed, hatred, and delusion when that arises. And that is also part of mindfulness. And as I started to um, contemplate greed, craving, tanha, wanting, um, my mind naturally went to a um, dark chocolate brownie with caramel ice cream on top. I mean, so I want to say um, the first thing about talking about greed, hatred, aversion, delusion, is that the mind naturally goes there. And it's not something that we have to fight or suppress or dislike about ourselves, right? Um, because the more you do that, I find, the more I try to say, I have no desire, I have no desire, the more I want to go shopping, um, the more I want, you know. Um, so it's not a pushing down or a clamping or a judging or trying to be something. It's really a, um, a noticing with compassion, moment by moment presence of what's simply arising and knowing it knowing it when it's there, and holding it with, I would say, a super um, affectionate stance, a kind stance. Um, so, let's see. So I want to start with um, desire. I love Ram Dass' comment about um, spiritual practice when he says, um, so many times I flunk the test. You know, I flunk it. The fear, the stress, the anger is so great that um, I can't arouse a mindfulness <clears throat> practice. And some of a mindfulness practice around this is knowing how many times we'll so-called flunk the test. You know, that we we, we can't quite hold it yet, um, but we're willing, we're setting an attention to go there. So, um, so many times in life, there's this buzz or this undercurrent of desire, of wanting, a mind that we're walking around and there's this mind like with little tentacles craving the next moment or craving something to be better the people you're with to behave better and to please you, um, the next thing you want to buy, and if you buy it, your life will definitely be better, and you will be better if you have it. Only until after you've gotten it, and then you're on to the next thing, right? Um, so there's little tentacles of overvaluing sense pleasure and the things outside us for happiness. You know, is this mass hypnosis that happiness is going to come from the conditions out here being right. Mm -hmm. I'll get the right stuff. 
I'll get the right house and fill it with the right stuff and then maybe I can fill it with the right people and they'll have the right conversations <laughs> and they'll, they'll love me and appreciate me unconditionally. They'll read my mind and I'll go, oh, you so get me. <laughs> and without the awareness, this is kind of where we go. We want, we just want. And I think that's okay. Why not, right? And it helps us get there. Um, but the difficulty that the Buddha talked about is when we get entrapped by it, when we get entranced by it, and we're walking off the present moment. Um, so, um, and he calls, the Buddha calls this unwise attention, where um, your the attention is out seeking, scanning, for what's going to work for me, what's good, what's going to fulfill me. Um, and we all have tastes of it from um, the last time I had that wonderful dark chocolate brownie with caramel ice cream. I mean, all I could think about, I was enjoying it mindfully, you know, all I could think about was when I was going to come back to the restaurant to have it again. Have you had that, right? When am I going to get more of this? Um, how much could I have without gaining some weight around that, you know, how much could I get away with? Um, it's really easy to do, right? So we get lost in the um, goodies of the world, and then the happiness is all out here, yeah? Um, so um, we could also get lost in this very subtle, quiet idea in our brain that's there, but not quite there, of the day needs to make me happy, right? The day needs to go right so I can be happy. How many days go right so you're happy? You know, once in a while you have this very good, even day where everything <laughs> lines up. Most days are fairly frustrating on one level or another, but there's this belief that the day should make me happy. Um, so we're going out there. Um, and so the Buddha talked about um, there's an unfreedom in that, you know, of, of waiting for conditions to ground and center. And he talked about it as disentangling from the tangle. It's like, he says, you're like a knotted ball of string, all bound up, crisscrossed and tied up. And that's how it could get when we're not aware of it. And when I was writing this, um, when I wasn't thinking about a brownie with ice cream on it, um, or something else like that, right? A natural craving of this mind. Because um, I'm just a student, not enlightened yet, right? Um, what, what my mind landed on, um, this memory came up of my, um, my grandfather who was an immigrant from Eastern Europe and uh, so much suffering. This man had so much suffering of um, violence and war and um, discrimination and saw horrible things and terrible poverty and came to this country alone as a teenager. You know, um, if you can imagine that, crossed Russia some of the stories I won't tell you at this moment, but he had enough to be completely bitter in his life and then came here without any education as a day laborer and you know, laid bricks. And um, his last job, he was carrying 
these big trays of glass bottles called seltzer. I don't know if any of you know what that is. Bubbly water. Big trays he carried to them up tenement stairs and delivered these trays of seltzer. Every hard job day in, day out. And I don't remember this bitter man at all. I just remember this little Buddha. He was so happy um, for the beautiful life he had you know, in this country, as many immigrants are. And um, so as I was preparing this and thinking about desire, you know, aversion, not wanting things, my mind just flashed to um, sitting in the kitchen with him of a small apartment over a pharmacy and a bagel store, you know, on a busy street, nothing very fancy. He really had very little, you know, of the way he would make his tea and put the lumps of sugar in the tea, you know, and have his little piece of sweet bread and read the paper. Um, all of his movements around the kitchen, around the house, walking with him to the bank to make a deposit, um, his laughter, seeing his newspapers and all the things he did. Because what I realized in, in these little moments with him is that he had balance, presence, and ease. You know, he was without craving. He wasn't thinking, oh, I'm in a little apartment, you know over a store in the middle of Brooklyn, you know, on a busy street, you know, it, there was an absence of craving. He loved his life as it was, and he found this sweetness in it. And that balance, that ease, that anchoredness was so palatable. And for me as a child, I took a refuge in his presence. You know, I, I thrived in just his energy of being there. Mm -hmm with gratitude. I can feel it in every moment of his. And uh, one of the things that he loved to do was take a square of sugar and dip it into the tea, you know, um, and then give me that piece of sugar. And um, it wasn't just that the sugar was sweet, it was that the sweetness was sweet, the beingness, the relatedness um, was sweet. And we, when we have that kind of mindful presence, without desire, without aversion, in this moment, with an open heart, we're not the only ones who feel that. Every, people around us feel that. We give that to others, mm -hmm. which is why Sangha you know, is so important, the coming here. Um, I love these mindfulness online classes, but you miss something, you know, it's this, we give this to each other. Mm -hmm. And so I remember that so clearly of um, this beautiful beingness that he carried with him, this little laugh and chuckle of I'm happy with what's here right now, the way it is, as it is. Um, and the, there's the presence of that such a refuge for all the difficulty. And that's where resilience comes from, you know? This is where the ability to hang out with what's hard comes from, that capacity that we're building over and over again. So, uh, let's see if there's any more to this. 
So what is this pointing to is that it's great to have things to make us happy. I like those things. I'll probably go shopping for those things after the talk. Um, it's grateful to have people that make us happy. And of course, I think to live skillfully, it's good to live with um, the people who can uplift your life. Um, it's wonderful when the circumstances are right. But really, the Buddha is pointing to um, the happiness not coming from outside conditions at all, but coming from inside in our awareness, right? In our mindfulness of what's arising, the greed, right? The desire, the aversion, right? And um, the delusion. I can get out of life a sense of complete security, right? Everything will stay the same. It will work for me. I'll be in my box and I'll be safe, right? Life, of course, will give me that. Now, we know that life isn't going to give us that. But if it's not checked, we're trying to get that, right? Um, life will, um, I'll get satisfaction. I'll get what I need out of a world that's completely unstable or instable. I'm not, is it instable? Yeah, whatever. It's always changing, right? The person in it's front of me stable. is changing. It's fun, it's in, it's everywhere, right? It's all over. Um, it's always going to change and frustrate me, but I think I can get it that way. I think I can get you to fit my needs, right? See the suffering and the stress in that? And when it's not checked, we're doing it. Um, and we're all doing it. Um, and um, so this knowing quality of all that, and think about those times in your life where you've had um, desire or greed, aversion, I don't want it, hatred, and it should be delusion. It should be like I need it. I can think of just in the past two days a few examples um, of that myself. Um, one of them being on, um, I think everybody who works a 40-hour work week that Friday afternoon isn't that like a deadly zone? You know, you're tired, you're waiting to go home, you've had it, right? Uh, on edge, and um, the irritability is there, right? I'm done, I'm done. And then something doesn't go your way on Friday afternoon. It's just a perfect prescription for um, a meltdown on some form, <laughs> which is why I think the bars are all full on Fridays. <laughs> People are out, you know, escaping. Um, and so I, on my Friday afternoon, um, the perfect prescription happened of events not going well and people not responding how I needed them to, how dare they? I mean, really, on Friday afternoon. You said that to me on Friday afternoon? You know, and so many Friday afternoons go that way, but I'm still surprised when the bad Friday afternoon happens. Okay, so, so where is the resilience, right? Where is the resilience there? Is it out there in my work situation being great? 
in my fantasy mind, in my deluded mind, or is it in here, knowing that aversion is present and there's a desire for people to be a certain way and the world to be a certain way, right? And just being with that lovingly, kindly, with compassion as much as possible, even a little bit, 10%. I think 10% is a lot, right? Just holding that with compassion and kindness, care and interest, all those things really just being with that um, in a knowing way, knowing how it is right now. Um, that's where the resilience lies. It's internal. That's where the peace and ease lies. Nobody's giving it to me. I can't get it out there. I'm still going to try, right? <laughs> and, and if they're not going to give it to me, I am going to have a brownie or two. <laughs> okay, I admit it. But, um, but it's in here. Right? It's in here. This is where the peace is and the ease. It's, this is where the Buddha is, is pointing. And um, the way this resilience happens um, is by um, returning. Focus, coming back, even when it's hard. Come back, come back, come back. So the mind is in desire, it gets scattered all over the place. Oh, I want this, a kid in a candy store. I want this, I want that, I want that, and then this, and this, and I'll call this person, I'll get that, and then I'll do that chore, and I'll feel better. But um, with mindfulness, we do the opposite. We, may, we come back again, we focus in, we come back in. And in doing that, the mind isn't so scattered, it's not out, right? It's in, and we find that point of focus. Right? In this moment, greed, hatred, delusion. In this moment here, right? It's back in. And when we're doing that, we're finding the balance. Right? We're not lost in the content, in the desire, right? Or the hatred, the emotion, or the fantasy. We're not lost in it. We're, we pull back in. So we're focused, we're anchored, and then there's that balance that happens. Yeah, and then you're balanced. There's equanimity, and with equanimity, there's resilience. So when you get that phone call, or the Friday afternoon does not go well, or you can't get that yummy thing you want, you can't buy it, or your health isn't so good, there's a ground on which you stand on that supports you, right? And that's called your practice. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.